everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I'm joined in the studio by my producer, Joel. And today, we are talking about a very interesting individual by the name of John D. It's been a while since we've dove into occultism and some of the people who have sort of helped further the knowledge that is hidden oftentimes in the world of magic. And I'm not talking about stage magic or David Blaine (laughs) or any of that magic. I'm talking about magic with a K on the end. If you're not familiar with what magic is, magic and paganism refers to the ritualization of one's spiritual intentions. It's often spelled with a K after the usage of Aleister Crowley, a 20th century esotericist who wished to differentiate this practice from stage magic. And today, the alternate spelling separates the spiritual practice from the fictional magic of fantasy novels and films like Harry Potter. Obviously, I think that's the big magic uh, sort of fictional story that we all think of. But magic is not about cultivating supernatural powers, but rather about aligning oneself with natural forces to manifest an intention. In paganism, ritual techniques that change a person's consciousness so that he or she may better perceive and participate in divine reality are regarded as magic. It's really interesting. You know, growing up, Joel and I were very sheltered from anything related to magic, including stage magic, yep. uh, which is interesting, as well as Harry Potter. I remember the first time I came home with a Harry Potter book and our parents were oh, very know. upset about it. Like, Dude, you remember so how, up. yeah, you remember how, the, how like weird they were about Harry Potter? Yeah. When I, th- it came? I think you brought home Harry Potter, the Sorcerer's Stone. When that came out, yeah. Parents were like, what the fuck is this? This is the devil. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, in, I mean, in many religions, this sort of, of topic of magic and occultism is a big no, no, because mm. They believe that it's only negative. There's only a negative and evil side to this, no matter which way you look at it. And that if you dabble in it, eventually it's going to open the floodgates to, I don't know, possession or, you know, demons coming through. Or in our parents' sense, the gates of hell. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of, it's the wrong path, essentially. Instead of going down the righteous path, you're going down this path of evil that leads to hell eventually. So they, you know, a lot of Christian parents will will shelter you from it and stay away from anything that has to do with the occult. And that includes magic as well as astrology, which John Dee was very important to astrology as well. Which as I've gotten older and, you know, I've kind of gone away from the Christian faith, I've started looking into a lot of these things. And I really started with astrology. And the more I dove into astrology and learned about it, the more I just became a believer of it, yeah, to be honest with me you. Too. I mean, I truly believe in astrology. I think there's something to it. There's something divine about it. And it, I mean, I know for me personally, my when I got my birth chart and, um, you know, I got several readings that just everything was just 100%. And I know not everybody that happens for them, but for me, it did. Yeah. I know. What about you? I know you got your, your chart as well. What yeah. do you think of it? So if anyone doesn't know, Josh is a Virgo. I'm a Cancer. And I would say, you know, for the longest time, I would kind of reject some of those astrology for me, for an example, like cancers are super sensitive and, you know, just really in their feelings a lot. And as I've gotten older, I've just noticed, you know what, it it is kind of true. I mean, I am sensitive at times and things like that. And I which is not bad. I think a lot of people like don't want to believe in it because they feel like it's telling them something bad or negative about themselves. Yeah, I could say that. And sometimes it's hard to accept those things, right? It's hard to accept. I mean, even for me, when I I read certain things, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I guess I can be like that sometimes, but Uh am I really like that in my core? And it it takes time for you to process it and really like think and meditate on it and be like, oh, you know what? This really, this really does explain me. And I do have those moments and you have to kind of come to a, accept it really uh-huh. yeah so it's it's interesting it and that's is. and that's why i like you know diving into magic and occultism and learning about it at the very least i mean whether or not you believe in it or you agree with it or you know maybe you think it's just all bullshit which a lot of people think magic is all bullshit i you know the more i've dove into it and i've i've studied these different things i've i've learned that and just if you're a fan of the paranormal, I mean, you kind of have to believe in in elements of occultism and which occultism, for those that don't know, is just hidden knowledge. It's just like things that are hidden. And that's what occultism attempts to do is uncover these hidden uh, bits of knowledge. And, and not only that, there's alternative 
practices and, and, and there's a lot of different facets to occultism. And I think oftentimes it just gets slapped with this like evil, evil label. And so a lot of people just stay away from it because they just think it's all evil. It's all negative, but that's not necessarily the case. And so that's why we're going to be diving into the life of John D, who I think is a very interesting fella. I actually heard about John D. I had no idea who he was until I listened to a song by Ghost Mane, which if you've never heard of the rapper Ghost Mane. He actually does like crazy industrial metal now, but he's a very interesting guy. Um, and, you know, I'll play a clip of, of his song here for you. Song goes hard. He does go hard. <laughs> I, I'm actually a big Ghost Mane fan. Um, he's he's very much into occultism and all magic and all of these things. A lot of his songs reference. Uh, he has a whole song called John D. <laughs> yeah. As you just heard. So um, I was like, who the fuck is John D? Why is he <laughs> yeah. rapping about John D? Right. And I started looking into him. Like, God, John D is a really fucking interesting person. So that's why I'm covering him today. Is because I think he's interesting. Ghost Main thinks he's interesting, and hopefully you do too. So. Let's go ahead and get into the very interesting life of John D. So beyond the constrictions of religion and morality, John D. sought the answers to life's greatest questions. Through mathematics, astrology, alchemy, and theurgy, John believed he could speak to the divine angels and reunite the Christian faith. But his desires were far too great, and his means were far too dangerous, and his search for ultimate knowledge would come at a great cost. So John D. was born in London on July 13th, 1527. We're going back in time pretty far today. But early on, he was surrounded by wealth and power. His father was a member of Henry VIII's court, and John later claimed that he was a descendant of the King of Wales. So he grew up in houses of royalty and lived a wealthy life. And at an early age, he was regarded as a genius. In fact, night after night, he would lock himself in his study room and spend all of his time reading books. He studied multiple languages, mathematics, astronomy, navigation, and medicine. And by the time he was just a teenager, he was a scholar way ahead of his time. And soon enough, his dedication to his faith and his interest in mathematics merged. He believed that the closest thing to God and the heavens was mathematics, which is very interesting to me because it's interesting. I've never thought of mathematics connecting with spirituality, but there's actually a major connection there. At this time in the 16th century Europe, there wasn't much difference between magic, superstition, and science. The church often kept science at a distance, and some even considered mathematics to be a form of black magic, which again, magic can be used for either evil intentions or positive intentions. And when it's used for evil intentions or curses or hexes, things like that, that all falls under the practice of black magic. But as new scientific discoveries came to light, the church often pushed back and some of the most vocal scientists were publicly executed. Can you believe that? Recently, the church had gone through a split between Catholics and Protestants, which resulted in violence across Europe. Of course, religion causing wars. All the while, John saw mathematics and science as the answers to the violence. But the reign of politics was way over his head. In 1553, Mary Tudor took her place on the throne, and she turned England towards the Catholic faith by force. And Mary Tudor became known as Bloody Mary for murdering Protestants across Europe. During her bloodshed, people became religiously paranoid as people were being slaughtered in the streets for the slightest bit of pushback against the Catholic Church. At any moment, the Protestants could be dragged from their houses and cut down in the streets by Queen Mary's armies. But through it all, the Protestants kept their faith, and they believed the answer to their problems sat right beside Queen Mary's half-sister, Elizabeth. But she had been put under house arrest for being a Protestant. Many people hoped that because Elizabeth was a Protestant, that she would help end the persecution of them. Since she was her sister's blood, Protestants hoped that Mary would find mercy on them. But that wasn't the case. Violence tore through the kingdom, so Elizabeth reached out to John Dee for help. She asked him to read her horoscope since she knew he had a great interest in astrology. And she also secretly asked him to read Queen Mary's horoscope as well. At the time, the church wasn't sure how to treat astrology. It wasn't widely accepted, but Elizabeth specifically wanted to know when Mary was going to die. So Elizabeth's request was basically high treason. She couldn't reason with her sister, so she thought the only way to end the reign of terror that her sister was inflicting was to wait until she died. So John quickly got to work. 
He read the stars and met with Elizabeth to show her what he saw. The horoscope predicted that Elizabeth would soon take the throne and she would have a long and glorious rule over the kingdom. As for Mary, her horoscope predicted a quick death right around the corner. Not long after these predictions, these horoscopes were discovered by royal guards and John Dee was arrested and charged with the crime of calculating, which was basically seen as witchcraft. Imagine that. Imagine literally being charged with a crime, potentially killed, thrown in prison for calculating something. And that's exactly what they did. They threw him into a cell. And John's time in prison was grim and filled with paranoia. The prison cell walls were covered in mold. Ugh. And the hallways were filled with screams of desperate men and women. Again, many of them were Protestants. While he was in prison, John met a man named Bartlett Green. They didn't know each other well, but John knew that Bartlett was a vocal Protestant. And only a few weeks after meeting him, Bartlett was taken from a cell and brutally executed inside the prison. John thought for sure he would share a similar fate, since he was watching other prisoners around him being rounded up and executed. But somehow, John survived in prison for three years. And just like his horoscope said, Queen Mary died in 1558, and Elizabeth took over the throne. By now, her lands were surrounded by Catholics who didn't want the Protestants to return to power, and they loathed Elizabeth. Over the years, Elizabeth was constantly on the lookout for assassins, and she needed to assemble a court that could protect her. So her first thought was, man, who is that smart guy who read me my horoscope? John D., I think it was. So she went and tracked him down and let John out of prison. She thought that a man who could possibly read the future might be able to protect her from potentially being assassinated. So Elizabeth named him the Royal Astrologer, and she called him her Royal Intelligentsia. She claimed that his form of science was considered divine magic, and she encouraged him to keep producing horoscopes and performing magic. He was also given the freedom to work whenever and however he wanted. At the time, John lived in Mortlake, along the river Thames. He spent much of his time collecting books and he assembled one of the greatest libraries of the 16th century inside of his home. Rows and rows of bookshelves filled the rooms and he tried to read anything he could get his hands on. He actually traveled all over Europe, hoping to find different books and educated scholars who could teach him everything there was to know in the known universe. And in the end, he had nearly 4,000 scientific textbooks and he had personally collected most of them. During his journey, he also gathered as many maps as he could find, along with navigational equipment. His obsession with navigation inspired England's era of exploration, and he even coined the expression, British Empire. Bet you didn't know that. He was also a big advocate for establishing colonies in the New World, and he spent a good amount of time studying the stars and the seas, but he never limited his research. The more he studied, Obviously, the more questions came up, and he strived to understand how the entire universe worked. That's a tall order. And because of all that dedication, he's been called the Stephen Hawking of the 16th century. Through his studies, he became convinced that hidden forces were controlling the physical world. But as years passed, he began to doubt himself. While he studied, he realized that he might never unlock the secrets of the universe. As he grew older and spent most of the time reading books, he had spent nearly 40 years trying to understand the universe through mathematics and astrology, but nothing gave him the ultimate answer. He had read every book he could get his hands on, so he decided that after reading all these scientific books, it was time to dive into the mystical realms of the universe. Before we talk about what realms he actually dove into, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Eventually, John Dee discovered the book called the Steganographia. It's a black magic manuscript written in the 15th century. Most of the book was written in code, and it contained the names of spirits that were the key to unlimited knowledge. In the 16th century, angels and demons were believed to influence people's day-to-day -day lives, from plagues to great harvest seasons. Angels and demons played some part in that. Most believed in their existence. So the idea that a spirit held the key to unlimited knowledge wasn't that strange of an idea. John believed the only way he could gain more knowledge was by communicating with the spirit world. But there was only one problem. He had no idea how. While other scholars like John mostly focused on alchemy and astrology, John had become obsessed 
with theurgy. Another name for it was the operations of the gods. It's the practice of using the supernatural to unlock lost knowledge. He had hit several roadblocks through the years, but he never gave up, and his study finally paid off. One night in 1581, John D. knelt in prayer like he did every night. As he put his hands together, a bright light burst into his room, and the great angel, Uriel, stood before him. The angel held out his hand and gave John a bright crystal the size of an egg, and he told John that if he looked into this crystal, he'd be able to contact the spiritual realm. Nowadays, the image of a wizard staring into a crystal ball has become iconic, and in fact, it all stems back to John D. He was the one who made it famous. Once he got his hands on the crystal ball, he began scrying, which if you're not familiar with what scrying is, it's the act of looking into a reflective surface and experiencing other realms and realities. It was believed that these reflective objects could transmit messages from alternate realities. So he took this crystal egg from the angel and he called it his shoe stone. And after this very profound night, he set up this crystal ball on his study table. He stared and stared at this crystal egg, looking for any trace of movement, but nothing ever came. Desperately, he reached out to other scryers for help, but after weeks, they came up with nothing. Some claimed to see something in the crystal, but John accused them of lying. And after several more weeks, he was disappointed when the scrying didn't work. After word had spread about John's interest in the occult, many wanted to help him, but he became suspicious of anyone who claimed they could scry. But after a year of absolute failure, a black magician appeared on his doorstep in 1582. The magician's name was Edward Kelly. He was a known necromancer and an alchemist. Around town, he was known as a troubled man, but his past was mostly a mystery. He even introduced himself as Edward Talbot, and his true name is unknown. He also wore a hat on his head every day to cover up the fact that the tops of his ears had been cut off. At the time, this was a common punishment for forgery, but John was desperate for answers, and he didn't care who helped him. So he invited Edward to help him with his research. John was 55 years old at the time, and he was willing to try almost anything to find the truth. In John's diary, he wrote about how the spirit world began to open once Edward came into his life. They read book after book on black magic and the occult, and then they set up crystal balls and mirrors to perform rituals where they tried summoning different spirits. Edward claimed he had great success with scrying before. Even though John didn't trust the other scryers, something about Edward made him believe. So together they kept performing the rituals in his house until one night, spirits finally emerged inside the crystal ball as Edward looked into it. But the spirits were only revealed to Edward, and John couldn't see them. Images of young maidens and massive giants with suns bursting from their eyes began to form. They had terrifying cold voices that spoke of the apocalypse, and John didn't know if these were angels or demons. The flashing images contorted and swirled inside of the crystal ball, and John could hardly contain his excitement. He believed he had finally accessed the spirit realm, and he was one step closer to ultimate knowledge of the universe. Over the next several months, 70 different spirits contacted them through their crystal ball. Edward claimed that the angelic ruler of the cosmos spoke with him, along with many others. This included four archangels and all the angels that worked under them, but he had trouble understanding their language. So to understand these spirits, John began researching ancient languages. These dead languages were used for sacred purposes. He believed that all ancient languages trace back to the beginning of human language, and if he followed all the languages back to their beginnings, he could find the one pure language from the beginning of time. This is believed to be the same language that God and his angels delivered to the earth. So the further back you travel through language, the closer you are to God's true word. This is the language of God. It goes by many names, but some call it the celestial speech, or the Enochian language, or Enoch. And many believe the traces of this language can be found in the early books of the Bible, and John Dee was one of these believers. From this language, God spoke the universe into existence. His words were then burned into 49 stone tablets, and these tablets are believed to hold the knowledge of the universe. This included how to get into the realm of heaven. And it's believed that these tablets appear in different forms throughout different religions, and they are known as the speech from God. Dating back to the story of Adam and Eve, Adam once spoke this language, and he gave everything on the planet its true name. 
when Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, they had lost the ability to speak this celestial language. He only remembered bits and pieces from his memory. He then took some of the words and created the first human language. And from then on, all human languages had small traces of the celestial speech. But as centuries passed, the language was completely lost. Humanity spread across the world and human language changed over centuries. And John needed to understand this lost language in order to communicate with the spirits, as otherwise they couldn't understand him. But for now, Edward and John continued scrying. They figured the spirits would unlock the language for them. The spirits that appeared were sometimes in the shape of humans or familiar angels from the Bible. Other times they looked like demons and shadowy figures. During each scrying session, John recorded everything in his personal diary. Unlike many of the other occultists, John tried to approach these encounters scientifically, so he wrote down everything he could, especially the coded messages he received from the spirits, and he believed that he would one day uncover the secrets of the universe this way. John finally believed he was close to unlocking the truth and he became obsessed with scrying, but his obsession would take a great toll on his personal life. John's wife Jane was not a fan of Edward, and she hated the idea of them scrying in their home. She thought Edward was evil, and she grew tired of them conjuring spirits every day. Imagine living in that house. I mean, just think about that for a minute. They're literally trying to conjure spirits, angels, <laughs> demons, whatever it is, every single day. Imagine being John's wife. <laughs> like, God damn, what that'd be they, so terrifying. What they bring up today. <laughs> yeah. Like dude, they're hearing like this like ancient language. Inakian right. spoken in the other room. I can't even God. imagine living in that yeah, place. Jesus. That'd be wild. <laughs> she believed the conversations they had with the spirits would eventually curse them all, which honestly, I think that's pretty fair, fair argument there. But John ignored his wife. Not a good idea either. And he put his research above everything else. In 1583, John met a Polish nobleman named Albert Lasky. Albert had heard of the seances John performed at his house and he wanted to join in on the rituals. Once Queen Elizabeth heard about Albert becoming close with John, she was worried. She thought Albert might turn John against her. So her spy master had John's house put under surveillance. And as tensions grew, an angel named Medini came to Edward in a scrying session. And the spirit told him that Queen Elizabeth's spy master was plotting against John. After this revelation, John became paranoid of spies around his house in Moorlake. And during another session, the spirits told Edward that they needed to go with Albert to Poland. They also promised to tell John great secrets if he took their advice. So both John and Edward packed up their things and left Mortlake with their families. John was so desperate for answers, he was willing to uproot his entire life and his family in order to discover the truth. When they reached Poland, they began scrying again as soon as possible. Get right back to it. They both hoped the spirits would fulfill their promise of knowledge. As Edward looked into the crystal ball, a light began to form and an angel appeared within the light, and they stayed true to their promise. One of the first angels that spoke to Edward told him about a lost book of Enoch, and this book supposedly held the secrets of nature and the whole world. It contained the framework of the universe and explained all mathematics and God's creations. The book of Enoch was eventually discovered in the 1700s and didn't include any of this knowledge though, but John believed the spirit was telling the truth they spent hundreds of hours scrying and researching old texts. Letter by letter, the angels delivered the forgotten languages to Edward and John. And through these coded messages, this is how John uncovered the dead language of the angels. The angels gave them alphabetic puzzles, which John had to decode. And he believed that the speeches of God could be found within these puzzles. John became convinced that he was a new prophet, and his goal was to return the lost language of the angels to humanity. Eventually, the angels gave him a grid of symbols that made up the lost alphabet. And as Edward scried, he relayed the coded information from the angels and told John how to slowly decode the mysterious grid. It was an incredibly long process, as you can imagine. And John and Edward spent months decoding the language. This dead language was built from 22 letters. It had its own unique words, grammar, and syntax. Later, researchers thought it was similar to Hebrew, but it has no true connection to any known language on earth. Skeptics believe that Edward made up the language and just dictated it to John. But many argue that this would have been very difficult for Edward to do, and that it would have required him to be a professional linguist who could create a functional language with unique grammar and vocabulary. Plus, that meant he had to memorize the angelic puzzles and then dictate them to John in code, in which John would have to then decipher that code. 
and many people doubt that Edward was smart enough to do this. And if he was smart enough, then many believe he must have been a true genius. After the two of them figured out the language, the spirit then had another request. He demanded John meet the ruler of the Holy Roman Empire, Rudolph II. And then John had to tell him that he was an evil man corrupted by the devil, and his goal is to persuade the emperor to confess his sins. And the spirit was basically sending John on a suicide mission. But John's faith in the spirit and Edward's scrying were enough. He decided he needed to go confront the emperor because he wanted more information from the spirits. Rudolph was known as an explosive leader. He was impatient and always in a state of anger. And he was known for having affairs with countless women. And he had several illegitimate children. He also had strange habits and interests. And he even controlled a troop of soldiers that were all dwarves because he thought it was funny. Although he was raised Catholic, many saw him as a godless leader. But he ruled over the Holy Roman Empire, which controlled almost all of Northern Europe at the time. It was an empire filled with wealth, soldiers, and the Catholic faith. And John was about to confront its ruler because a spirit in the crystal ball told him to do so. So as John D. walked through Prague, he noticed the impressive churches and the incredible amount of wealth that went into their faith. And the empire was built around its religion. And its leader was seen as an extension of their faith. Rudolf was a Catholic and John was a Protestant and seen as a heretic. But John took his faith seriously. Even though many people saw him as a black magician, he truly believed in the word of God. And he believed that all knowledge served God. He even believed that men could somehow reach a divine state through mathematics and science. And this idea is what made people worried. But deep down, John just wanted to reunite the Catholics and the Protestants, even if it meant risking his life. So John walked into Prague, ready to tell the emperor that he was an unholy man. And he knew it was a death sentence, but he was prepared for the worst. He met with Rudolf face to face, and he told him that the angel of the Lord had appeared to him. He told Rudolf to repent for his sins or else God would wipe them off of the face of the earth. Said that Rudolf was surrounded by demons and if he didn't get rid of them, God would remove Rudolf from the Holy Roman throne by force. And according to John, if Rudolf listened to his advice, then he would become a supreme emperor. After John told him all this, the room was silent and it took a while for Rudolf to collect his thoughts. At first he really didn't know how to respond, so he sat down quietly, just in his head. And they actually sat in silence for so long that John was actually met with a vision. An angel came to him and told him to create the Philosopher's Stone, as it was the only way to make Rudolph repent. A Philosopher's Stone was a mystical stone that was believed to be able to turn anything into gold and purify things that were tainted with evil. And if anything could be turned into gold, they'd have so much money that whoever owned the stone could control a military superpower. So as John waited for a response from Rudolph, he returned to his home. And more like he needed to work on the stone so he could sway Rudolph. In order to do this, he needed certain alchemy materials that were only available to him back home. So when he got back, he set up his lab and he was ready to try and create the stone himself. He then set up another lab in Bohemia so that Edward could help him. With advancements in metalwork in the 16th century, rumors quickly spread that it might be possible to create man-made gold. So even if they couldn't get their hands on a philosopher's stone, they could maybe create gold in their alchemy lab. The lab was filled with spell scrolls, powders, and several different contraptions, and they spent hours every day trying to make gold. They hoped that this discovery would be enough to convince Rudolph to change his ways. And they were able to cause a big enough stir that Queen Elizabeth was worried that they would start creating gold for their foreign enemies, the Catholics. Meanwhile, the Catholic Pope heard about John meeting with the Emperor, so he sent his spies to watch John's every move. And within several years, John had gone from a simple scholar reading horoscopes to a threatening magician that could potentially turn Europe completely upside down. He wasn't just some sorcerer causing them trouble. They saw him as a master manipulator and a man with divine powers. And as the rumor of man-made gold spread, everyone across Europe wanted John and Edward on their side. All the while, the scrying continued and Edward and John kept up their contract with the angels through the crystal ball. After more angelic meetings with the spirit realm, John eventually claimed that the Roman Empire was about to collapse as they had seen it within their crystal ball. On top of all this, many believe that John had direct line to God's angels. And since the whole point of the church was to help people understand and communicate with God, John and Edward threatened the very existence of the church. If they could in fact speak with God's angels, then there was no reason to go to church. 
John and Edward have the answers. So he quickly became the enemy of many religions across Europe, and the Catholic Pope decided that John needed to be taken out immediately. So he sent a document to the Roman Emperor accusing John of being a black magician. Other religious authorities tried to seize all of John's books and the journals he made about the conversations with angels. And in the end, the Pope ordered John and Edward to come to Rome. Being questioned by the Vatican, especially at that time, was no laughing matter. And both John and Edward thought that they would be burned at the stake if they went to the Vatican. So they just told the Pope, fuck off. We're not coming to see you. And since the Pope couldn't bring them to the Vatican, he forced the emperor to expel John and Edward and their families from the Roman Empire. They were given six days to leave Prague. Otherwise, they would be killed. So again, they packed up their families, all their books, scrying materials, and alchemy labs, and they fled the country. All of their things were stuffed into two carriages as they escaped the empire along muddy roads in the dark of night. With nowhere to go, they became desperate, and many of their colleagues turned their backs on them. John and Edward thought that they had burned all of their bridges, but not long after fleeing the empire, they were contacted by a nobleman from Bohemia. Supposedly, he wanted them for their alchemy skills. When they answered his call, they eventually found out that the emperor had actually made the arrangement. Just set him up. His hands were tied by the Pope, but if he couldn't have John and Edward in Prague, then he figured he would find a place for them to live nearby. The emperor still believed they were on the verge of something incredible, so he secretly gave them sanctuary. The men and their families lived in the Rosenberg Castle, and the emperor secretly set up alchemy labs in the town of Trebon, just a hundred miles south of Prague. John and Edward would continue their work. By now, Edward wanted to work exclusively on his alchemy projects. He had little interest in scrying because he thought the conversations with the angels were going nowhere. And since the emperor was paying them a ton more money to work in the lab, he shifted his focus. The emperor wanted man-made gold, and Edward wanted to make it for him. John, on the other hand, did not change his mission. He wanted to keep his focus on the angels. They had come so far in their studies that he thought they were on the verge of unlocking the answers to the universe. So he forced Edward to keep scrying. And day after day, they sat down around the crystal ball. And Edward got to work. They would scry for 10 hours a day until Edward would become completely exhausted. He would look into the crystal ball and tell John everything that the spirits told him. But after the long sessions, he started getting severe headaches and stomach pains. He heard voices in his head, even when he wasn't scrying. And thick, jagged wounds appeared on his arms. He believed the demons from the spirit realm had begun attacking him. The ten-hour session of scrying became too much. The crystal ball had consumed his life. He spent more time communicating with the spirit realm than he did even in the real world. And on top of all this, John required them both to fast and cleanse before each session. Mentally, Edward was just falling apart at this point. And even a close colleague of theirs mentioned that John had pushed Edward to the brink of insanity. And strange visions came to him, and he saw himself engulfed in flames. His skin popped and sizzled beneath the heat while his visions grew violent and distorted, and his mind burst into a fire of a thousand suns. He could no longer tell if the spirits within the crystal ball were angels or demons. But from his recent experiences, as you can imagine, he began believing that black magic had worked its way into the scrying sessions. His visions revealed a demonic character from the depths of hell, and the angel that they usually talked to became more and more sinister. They had once considered this angel their spirit guide, but their energy had shifted. But again, despite all this, John D. did not care. He just kept on pushing. Since John wasn't experiencing the scrying firsthand, he wasn't worried about it. If anything, this only intrigued him more. While Edward's mental state plunged into the darkest depths, John wanted more. He wanted answers, and he didn't care if that meant destroying his partner or conjuring all of the forces of heaven and hell. During their communication with the spirit realm, their recent spirit guide made the strangest request of them all. They had made several requests before, but this one would lead to the darkest place of John and Edward's journey. The angel began by saying that nothing is unlawful which is unlawful unto God. She then told them they must commit adultery if they want to access divine knowledge. And what's worse is that the angel demanded that they must sleep with each other's wives. Man, that'll just only make things worse. When they heard this, John and Edward looked at each other in shock. But John was under their control by this point, and he was willing to do almost anything the spirit said. But now he faced the ultimate challenge. 
When he told his wife, Jane, she might have to sleep with Edward, she fell to her knees and cried for 15 minutes straight. Meanwhile, Edward was visibly unhappy. His face was pale, and he reminded John that he hadn't wanted anything to do with the spirits for a while. After this last request, Edward was also convinced that they were dealing with demons this whole time. When John took a moment to think about what the spirit had asked from him, he realized it would be an act against God. Adultery, as many of us know, is a mortal sin in the eyes of the Christian faith, and is just generally not a recommended practice. He had risked his life and his legacy for the spirits in the crystal ball, but now he had to consider risking his soul. He asked himself if adultery was worth unlocking the answers to the ultimate truth of the universe. At first, he said he wouldn't do it. The thought disgusted him, and as days passed, he kept saying he wouldn't do it. He demanded that Edward keep scrying because John wanted to interrogate the spirits. He needed to know for certain if he was dealing with angels or if he was dealing with demons. And after days of interrogation, it seemed that the order was a genuine order from God. To John, the search for ultimate knowledge was too important, and he finally gave in. The spirits had complete control over him, and he couldn't resist. So John offered himself up as a pawn. In the beliefs of the occult, taboo and certain sex practices are believed to enhance magical ability. They can even put you into a higher state of consciousness. And after two days, John and Edward wrote up a contract between each other. They agreed to sleep with each other's wives, and by that night, they had fulfilled their contract. The two men swapped bedrooms and John had heard through the walls as his partner defiled his wife. This was the biggest step he had ever taken into the darker areas of magic and it was a step too far. From then on, nothing was the same between John and Edward. I think that's pretty self-explanatory there. Their scrying sessions came to an end and their partnership dissolved very quickly. And in the end, after everything, the adultery didn't unlock the answers to the universe. Imagine that as they had been betrayed by the spirits. After seven years of work, John and Edward parted ways for good, as they could no longer look each other in the eye, and they no longer trusted the spirits within the crystal ball. After all this, Edward quit scrying forever and spent the rest of his time in his alchemy lab. His dedication eventually paid off, and Rudolph eventually invited him to work directly for him in Prague. Apparently, Edward claimed that he had found the recipe for the Philosopher's Stone. He somehow unlocked the ability to create gold, and word spread around Europe that the Holy Roman Empire could create gold from a lab. Because of his accomplishments, Edward became famous for his work, and the emperor assigned him as his baron. The emperor even gave him a castle and limitless wealth, and he even knighted him, Sir Edward Kelly. Queen Elizabeth then sent spies out to try and get Edward to come back and work for her, but this didn't work. As time went on, his luck didn't last. His philosopher's stone seemed to be a sham, and it stopped producing gold. So Rudolph threw Edward into prison, and he realized that he had actually been conned the entire time, and Edward never saw the light of day again. His wife and daughter tried to hire an imperial counselor to try and persuade Rudolph to free him, but Rudolph was furious after being conned. So Edward remained in prison until he attempted an escape. As he tried to scale a prison wall, he fell and shattered his leg. He screamed in pain as prison guards dragged him back to his cell and failed to give him any sort of medical treatment. His leg remained bloody and shattered, and with no treatment, infection spread through his body, and he eventually died from his wounds, trapped in a dark cell. When John heard about Edward's death, he realized that they would never scry together again, and the voices of the spirits were truly at an end. All of their work towards the ultimate answers to life, the universe, and everything was officially over. Without work or money, John decided to move back to England in 1589. When he returned... He found his home in Mortlake had been vandalized. His library had been torn apart and his alchemy instruments had been stolen. Desperate, he reached out to his old friend, Queen Elizabeth, but she had no interest in hiring him back into her court. She instead appointed him as the Warden of Christ College in Manchester in 1595. It wasn't a well-paying position, but it kept his head above water. But many of his colleagues despised him because of his reputation. He tried to sway them by allowing the college access to his library, which still had plenty of books even after being vandalized. But John's reputation would never recover. Not long after returning to Mortlake, John's wife gave birth to a baby boy. And as John held the young boy in his arms, he noticed that his son looked nothing like him. In fact, he looked more like Edward. And he realized that this boy was the product of their adultery all those months ago. And that one night when they swapped wives, Edward had impregnated John's wife. 
and as he looked at the bastard's son, he felt deep regret. He doubted everything he had ever accomplished, and even considered that the words of the spirits weren't real. They were his own. He went through such doubt and guilt, he thought that all the research he had ever done was just pointless, a sham. But after everything, after all his guilt and doubt, he eventually returned to his beliefs after years of grief. As he grew old, he took all of his journals and books and kept them safe in chests and secret drawers, and even buried some around his property. He hoped that his research would be useful for future generations. John spent his last years in poverty at his home in Mortlake. He was forced to sell off his possessions so he could support him and his daughter Catherine. His wife Jane died in 1604 from the bubonic plague, so his daughter cared for him until his death in late 1608. John D. was 81 years old. After he died, several museums collected John's belongings over the next century. These included his personal hand mirror, small wax seals that supported his scrying table, and a large seal that supported the crystal ball. A golden amulet was also found with one of Edward's visions etched into it, and a small crystal globe only about two and a half inches in diameter was also found, as this was the crystal ball that was supposedly given to him by an angel. A larger crystal ball owned by John Dee currently sits in London Science Museum. This is one of the crystal balls that Edward and John used in their scrying sessions. About 10 years after John's death, a man named Robert Cotton bought the land surrounding John's property in Mortlake. He began digging for papers and artifacts and ended up finding many manuscripts that John had buried. They were mostly records of John's communication with spirits. And to this day, there is still an argument over whether John and Edward communicated with angels or demons at all, or if they truly communicated with the spirit realm. Some believe that Edward conned John into believing they spoke with angels. Others say that John was in on it too. But still many believe that John and Edward truly contacted the spiritual realm and discovered an ancient language that had been lost thousands of years ago. Through his life, John Dee was willing to push the boundaries of morality and science, and he will be remembered for his obsession and how far one goes to unlock the truth. He wanted to desperately unlock the answers to the universe, but it ended up costing him more than it was worth. He was willing to scold the Holy Roman Emperor to his face and commit a mortal sin, all for the answers to the universe. But in the end, he never unlocked these answers, regardless if you believe in his work or not. His life is a great example of what happens to those who put their desires above everything else. His legendary alchemy, astrology, and theurgy took him to places most would never go, and where most would never want to be. So, John D. Do you think he really contacted angels and demons? Or was just this the biggest con artist story of all time? Yeah, I personally, I can't say either way. I mean, it's just a very fascinating story. And it happened so long ago to where we can only take their word for what happened. And did they truly communicate with spirits through their their glass ball? You know, it's yeah, tough. it is tough. I mean, it's it comes down to what you believe. And if you believe in this, then I, I think there is a lot to to pull from it. And you know, the book of Enoch is, is interesting. There's a lot of information there. We'll have to do a whole episode on the book of Enoch. Cause I think once you understand the book of Enoch and you hear some of the things that are shared through the book of Enoch, I think it might change your mind on whether or not you believe in John D or not, because the, the knowledge that lies within the book of Enoch is obviously not anything that we can prove with hundred percent certainty, but there's, there's a lot of very interesting and very advanced knowledge about um, spirituality, the spiritual realms, as well as just the the very beginnings of, of earth. And there's multiple books of Enoch, by the way, but the knowledge that lies within the book of Enoch is, is very interesting. And obviously it a lot of it ties into uh, the beginning, beginnings of Christianity, uh, angels, and a lot of the spirits that John D and Edward believe they're communicating with. And there's, there's obviously a lot of things that most people would just be like, yeah, that seems like just a made up story. But there is a lot of knowledge in it that is is very interesting and very advanced, and and honestly, some of the things I've seen have kind of explain a lot of just the ways that history has gone. And you know, for a long time after I left religion, I used to just kind of look at the Bible as like it's all a fairy tale. It's all sort of just this made up thing. But there, especially the Old Testament, yeah, I, I was going to say the Old Testament's very much 
like a historical account in many ways. I mean, obviously, do you believe whether or not Adam and Eve were the first humans on earth? I mean, that's up for everybody to to decide. I mean, depending on what you believe, if you're not spiritual and you, you're atheist, for example, and you don't believe that there is a God or anything like that, your your opinions will differ on the book of Enoch and uh, as well as, you know, all the knowledge that John D and Edward gathered from these spirits. But there's a lot of it that that sort of ties into a lot of other different origin stories, I guess you could say. It's it's I know I'm being vague, but it's just it's a very complicated subject and there's just so much information there that I couldn't possibly try to explain it um, in this episode. But it's interesting to me that so much of it ties and and comes back from these scrying sessions that John D did with Edward. And I think we'll definitely have to dive into the book of Enoch a little bit more because it's it's very interesting. And I don't know. I I think it really comes down to what you believe and and if you believe in a spiritual realm, if you believe in the paranormal, then I think you have to at least consider the possibility that that John D and Edward were communicating with something divine. Yeah. And I think and and it is possible that from the jump that it was never angels, but in fact demons disguising themselves as angels coming to them. And as they did more of their, you know, followed more of what they said, the sort of, you know, almost the possession got worse and worse and worse. And it almost seems like John D may have even been demonically possessed sort of by the end in some ways. I mean, uh, it's it's very interesting because it, it could have been the other way, too, where they were communicating with something positive and an angel or something like that. And then over time, yeah, you know, the more sessions they did the more evil it got yeah. as time went on. So makes me think the spirits were slowly trying to gain their trust. And then, you know, towards the end, wanted to put him up to the ultimate test of adultery and see if right, exactly. he would how, actually how loyal do it. He was yeah, to him. Exactly. yeah, it's like they were testing his loyalty to yeah. him. And John was so loyal that, I mean, they got it pretty him. much cost him everything. Yep. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting story. And John D's a very interesting individual. And, um, you know, it's interesting that Edward did the actual channeling and John was sort of receiving the messages and trying to make sense of the information that was given to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting how, you know, the crystal ball thing all goes back to John D and Edward. Yeah, that is. I mean, I think most people never knew that. I never I, even knew no, that, that that's where that came from. I always wondered where the crystal ball came from. And, yeah. and even in uh, Lord of the Rings, you've say, got Saruman, yep. you know, he's got his... A uh, plantier, yeah, and the plantiers. It's interesting how even in J.R.R. Tolkien's work, he integrates magic and a lot of these sort of occult yeah. elements into his yeah. story. And and oftentimes, you know, I, I remember we at, at our Christian church we had like a, a lesson uh, where we actually used Lord of the Rings oh, within nice. it, and Lord of the Rings, and that's how we we got exposed to Lord of the Rings from a very young age. And yeah, our parents never said anything about Lord of the Rings. Oh, no, they were good with that. They were totally cool with that because <laughs> they knew in their minds like, oh, J.R.R. Tolkin was yeah, a Christian, right? Well, that's what what they say at least. And and there's a lot, you know, there's definitely some biblical elements intermixed into Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that there is these wizards mm-hmm. and they have they use magic and they have these palantirs that are basically crystal balls that show them the future and, and it's and gladriel and her her pool she can see right. you know potential outcomes yeah and, stuff, and so. i was thinking the same thing with in harry potter dumbledore's pool well the sorcerer's stone and then and, the sorcerer's you know, stone. It's basically the philosopher's stone so yeah wow a lot of a lot of ties there and, and if you think these authors pulled it from somewhere they have where they pull it from Probably from potentially here. John yeah. D. Right. So we have John D. to thank for Harry Potter, probably, <laughs> and uh, with some inspiration. Some Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure these authors took some from from some of these stories. And I mean, there's also King Arthur, and there's other older stories too. So maybe they pulled from that. But it's interesting that all the way back from the 1500s, you know, yeah, it is. this was what was going on. So that is where we're going to end today's episode, though. I hope you enjoyed this one. Hope you found it as interesting as we did. Um, I know it's kind of different from most of our lights out episodes, but I love to kind of go down these different roads and, you know, maybe have a little bit lighter episode than normal and mm-hmm. just talk about some of these really fascinating individuals and, and, you know, where some of these concepts and, and occultism come from and learn more about them. And obviously Alistair Crowley was really interesting. I find him to be very interesting and he's very controversial. I mean, they call him the most uh, evil man in the world yeah, or yeah. something like that. And, and so, 
uh, it's interesting to dive into the, the backgrounds and stories of some of these people that uh, are oftentimes not talked about. Yeah. And people often stay away from because they're worried about what might, what they might open up going <laughs> yeah. into it. So let us know what your thoughts and, and comments are below. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed and make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or following us on Spotify. Also check out, check us out on TikTok as well. We're at Lights Out Cast and other social media sites, Instagram, Twitter at Lights Out Cast as well. We really appreciate it, but that is it for today. And we will see you guys next time. Until then, lights out, everybody. Everybody.